Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Adventure Hardware. And Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Today, what we have in store for you here on the Slash Filmcast, we're going to talk about what we've been watching. We're going to move on into some film news discussion, a lot of film news to get through today. And then we're going to conclude with an in-depth review. This week, we'll be reviewing Ben Wheatley's new film, Free Fire. Uh, so that's what we got on tap. Also, uh, if we have time in After Dark with Jeff Kanata and I, uh, that is going to be a lot of fun. I'm not even going to tell you what the topic is quite yet. <laughs> it's it's going to be magical, Dave. It's going to be, be magical. Before we get to the show today, guys, uh, we got to just mention one thing up top. Uh, just a few hours ago, we learned that Jonathan Demi has passed away. Uh, and that is very, very sad. Jonathan Demi, one of the greatest directors of our time. Philadelphia... Mm-hmm. Uh, Rachel getting married, uh, mentioned Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> you guys both chiming in Silence of the Lambs, one of the best thrillers ever made. Um, so certainly a director who's had a huge influence on me. Do you guys have a favorite Jonathan Demi film, uh, Jeff Kanata? Oh, God. How do you choose? Um, <laughs> I think Philadelphia maybe might be mine. Ra- you mentioned Rachel getting married. I think that is a woefully underrated movie. So that good. Is so yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, and I know that you're going to bring up Swimming to Cambodia. Swimming to Cambodia had a huge effect on me as well. Yeah. Uh, but I'll, I'll let you talk about that. But well, yeah, I mean, he, he's amazing. Yeah. Swimming to Cambodia, it just, uh, in, I'm not in any way comparing myself to Jonathan Demi as a director, but I'll just mm-hmm. say that. Uh, the idea of a single individual being able to sustain an audience's attention uh, through the act of storytelling, like that idea first took hold at, when I saw Swimming to Cambodia many years ago uh, and is kind of what I tried to create with The Primary Instinct and Stephen Tobolowsky. Obviously, very different movies, very different looks and very different actors, but uh, just the concept of uh, the power of storytelling uh, being something that could enthrall all these people in the audience and through the screen, people sitting at home, uh, I thought, you know, Swimming to Cambodia, definitely a movie that uh, is, was key on my journey to getting into film. How about you, Devinger Hardware? Uh, it would probably be uh, Silence, uh, Silence of the Lambs for me just because it's such a – it's like a perfect thriller. You know, like everything about that movie – is just so perfectly put together from just the opening, your introduction to Clarice, the humanity he brings to Hannibal Lecter in a way. Like, he's such a fascinating character, even though he's so evil. So, yeah, what I love about uh, Demi is just the humanity he's brought to pretty much all of his films. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw Ricky and the Flash, which is mm-hmm. the uh, the Meryl Streep one from a couple of years ago. But that's, that's just like a straight straightforward family drama but it's just so good like it just really approaches those characters really well um yeah he is he is a freaking titan yeah uh silence of the lambs obviously helped to make jodie foster and anthony hopkins careers uh but i will also that is a movie that has contributed so much to popular culture you know what i mean Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. uh the clary starling uh, character archetype, uh, so many countless impressions of Hannibal Lecter, and also Buffalo Bill. Just kind of like it puts the lotion in the basket. That has been a <laughs> saying that is has been memefied decades later on Twitter and on social. Um, but I'll always remember that uh, movie as being one of the first movies I saw that pulled the classic switcheroo on you. You know, at the end when he's cutting the like the two, the FBI and the Buffalo Bill and Clarice like going into you know the house, uh, and you think the FBI is taking down Buffalo Bill, but really it's Clarice, and like that was one of the first movies I saw that had that 
uh, like rug pull, mm-hmm. and it, it still holds up today as like a really brilliant piece of editing. So uh, yeah, so many great films, so many great moments from a, a lot of great films. Jonathan Demi will be missed, uh, and so we just wanted to acknowledge that at the top of the show. Moving on, uh, I have been derelict in my duty, gentlemen. I have not been thanking the awesome people who've been donating to the Slash Filmcast these last couple weeks. So we have a little bit of a backlog. I want to thank all these people up top before the show even begins right now, uh, just to, to give them their due here. Uh, so thanks to Travis Colburn, who uh, gave, gave us a very generous donation, Siwon Chu, Aaliyah Jackson, Brian Bernal, Ian Levenstein, who says, thanks for the beers, Devendra. Uh, Arnold Sang from Irvine for his incredibly generous donation. Jesse from Philadelphia. David B. from British Columbia as well. Thanks also to new subscribers at the rate of $2 per month. Alexander Charles, Julian Gwinden, Siwan Chu again, Mitch Sineath, Edward Jr., Stefan Mildener, Nate Huff, and Sci-Fi Collectibles. Uh, thank you all so much for your contributions. If you want to donate to the Slash Filmcast, help us uh, to defray the cost of seeing movies and putting on the show, go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash and then the word filmcast. Or you can go to slashfilm.com, click on the Slash Filmcast tab, use the PayPal links on the side of the page. Dave, um, I think you missed another one of those hilarious names that they made you say. You oh, didn't even realize it. What was it? Sci-fi collectibles. Yeah, that that's was clearly not his real name. <laughs> clearly slipped that one under uh, yeah. under my. I mean, eyes. it could be. Yeah. It could be Jeff. I don't judge. <laughs> yeah, that's good. You shouldn't judge. You, I mean, you almost named your kid Kylo Ren, Jeff. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's. It wasn't for that pesky wife. <laughs> All right. Uh, so thank you so much for your donation. Sorry it's been a couple weeks since we thanked you, but uh, uh, all the money you donate really does help a lot, and uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, it, it helps to pay for Devendra's uh, subway uh, fare, which he's going to need to hop onto immediately after this immediately. podcast. Right? You are going yes. to a screening of Guardians 2 right after this uh, podcast. Everything needs to work out perfectly for <laughs> me to get to Times Square. So. Well, I'm, I'm uh, psyched for you to go see that movie. I'm seeing it in a few days. and uh, we're seeing it right after the show, too. Oh, wow. All right. You guys are nice. special. All right. Let's move on, guys, to what we've been watching this week. Uh, gentlemen, in the last six days, I drove... Uh, 2,500 miles with, uh, <laughs> with my significant other. Uh, and are went- you guys still together? Is that yeah, the big question yeah. on everybody's mind? It's, uh, yeah, we are still together, uh, but that is a thing. It's a thing that's very much in question, right? Like, I think if you can yeah. drive 2,500 miles, like, I think the United, the United States is only 3,500 miles in diameter, you know? So we drove to like two thirds the uh, span of the United States uh, uh-huh. from Seattle to Las Vegas and back again. To see Hans Zimmer revealed his uh, his live show, uh, Hans Zimmer revealed, and I think there's only a couple dates left. I don't even know if there's any tickets available. He's doing another tour this summer called Hans Zimmer Live. I yeah. think it's going to be a different show. It's not going to be quite as big or elaborate as Hans Zimmer revealed. Uh, but I'll, I just want to say a few words about you know seeing Hans Zimmer revealed. Because I'm probably also going to try to see Hans Zimmer live. So uh, how this all started was uh, Hans Zimmer did this set at Coachella. Actually, Devinder Hardware pointed out to me. He said, hey, uh, check out this Hans Zimmer set at Coachella. He's performing live right now. I watched the first few minutes and I thought to myself, okay, well, I have to go see this now. Uh, I have to go see <laughs> you this. You were like, I have to drive thousands of miles right now. Yes. Uh, I, Is this playing in my area? No. I will get there anyway. <laughs> that's great. Well, someone uh, sitting next to us had, had uh, traveled from Wisconsin. 
to be there. So wow. people are traveling from all around the country to see Hans Zimmer. Uh, for those who don't know who Hans Zimmer is, he has written the musical score for over 150 movies. He has probably done more to shape the sound, uh, the music, you know, the orchestral sound of modern movies than any other composer alive today. Mm-hmm. And uh, the show is amazing, guys. I mean, it is probably my favorite concert experience that I've ever had in my life. And uh, there are some deep cuts in there, guys, some deep cuts. I mean, Driving Miss Daisy, uh, Sherlock <laughs> Holmes, the Guy Ritchie movie. You bet uh, you were very happy about that. <laughs> That's right. Before you go any further, Dave, can you can you kind of explain what the show was? I mean, is it is it audiovisual? Are they showing clips of the film projected? Or is there no? A, so an there is a there is a big band with a bunch of soloists, and Hans Zimmer is also a soloist. He plays like five instruments during the course of the concert. Wow! Uh, and then behind him. There is uh, a small orchestra of like – it looked like it was eight to ten pieces. And then behind those people, there was uh, a choir of about like 20 people. And then behind them, there was this massive screen that played these abstract representations of what was happening in, you know, in the song that was being played. Every single song that was played was re-instrumented from or rearranged from what the original was uh, to give it more of a – sometimes more of a, like a rock and roll feel. Basically, everything was louder than it was like in the original score. So it feels very much like uh, like imagine you're going to see like a rock band except there's no – and it's not even that there's no singing because there is singing. It's just that sometimes there's no lyrics that you can discern. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like a normal concert but it's very loud. It's very elaborate uh, in terms of the setup. Like it, <laughs> you could tell that everything, every instrument was there because Hans Zimmer wanted it. And you know, Hans Zimmer – has fuck you money, right? Like he, <laughs> he, he could do whatever he wants, but instead he's traveling around the country uh, playing his music live because he loves touring and I think he loves uh, playing for live audiences and that shows. I mean his enthusiasm is infectious. To hear him talk you – know, between each song there's like patter where he talks about – uh, when he made you know the the score for the Dark Knight and uh, you know I think so, something he said from that really stuck with me. He said, "For you guys, it was three movies. For us, it was twelve years of our lives." Wow. Uh, you know, and and hearing him talk about like the creation of um, all these iconic scores uh, was just absolutely incredible. And I, I didn't know how much uh, of my life has been spent listening to Hans Zimmer's music. Mm-hmm. Until I went to the concert. You, you guys, um, spoilers for the Pixar film Ratatouille. But you guys remember Ratatouille, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. At the end of that movie, I think Anton Ego is the uh, food critic, right? right? And he eats the Ratatouille. And then he like flashes back to when he's five years old. And his mom serves him Ratatouille in his like uh, rural French house. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, uh, this is your Ratatouille. That, I, I, no, not only did I have a Ratatouille moment. Uh, during the Hans Zimmer concert, I had 15 Ratatouille moments. You know what I mean? Like when he's playing Crimson Tide, I, I just remembered, oh my gosh, 20 years ago, I bought the CD for the soundtrack of Crimson Tide from Circuit City. Yeah. Right? And <laughs> Dave, Dave, paint us a picture here though. Were you, were you sitting down? I was sitting down. I was like, I was and, like shouting. I was like, trying to stand, like, stand and applaud at every opportunity <laughs> I could without distracting the people around me. Uh, and, you know, like 20 years ago, I'd, I'd bought like CDs for The Rock and for Crimson Tide. And hearing him play Crimson Tide and dedicated to Tony Scott, man, was man. super special. It just, yeah. I was like, oh my, I just realized, wow, I have, I have spent so many hours 
listening to Hans Zimmer's music, and uh, this person has like shaped the in, the entire course of my interest in movies, you know, for for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll just share like two more realizations, you know, like one was uh, when I was listening to his uh, Pirates score, right? He he did some Pirates of the Caribbean. And I just remembered, oh my gosh, as he's playing it, I listened to that track probably over 50 times. Uh, and I don't know that anyone else did, you know, like, I don't know that, I don't know that those, the, the, like, I didn't see the movie more than once, but I listened to the soundtrack dozens of times. <laughs> Although the, I think that kind of gets into the, uh, the Hans Zimmer sort of like, I guess the controversy about the way he works too, because right, it was uh, Klaus Badelt who did the, mm, uh, yeah. the original pirate score. And then Zimmer came in for the sequels, and then it feels like he's just sort of owned the theme, even right. though that was definitely a Klaus Bedell theme, and now yeah. he's sort of, like, playing it on stage. Uh, I, I hear a lot of people I know in the, like, uh, you know, the orchestral business, uh, they're annoyed at Hans Zimmer of his, like, sweatshop of people right. who are basically like he, cranking out themes. Right, yeah. and he, like, takes credit for it. I, I don't yeah. know enough about that to speak on it, um, but uh, suffice to say, despite those things, Hans Zimmer still remains, like, an incredibly talented person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know about, like, the credit with Klaus, but, like, there certainly have been uh, movies that he's taken over, right? Yes. And, and yeah. then, like, or, or franchises that he's taken over, and then, uh, you know, like, the, the themes kind of become his in a way. But... Uh, I did just want to say that so often Hans Zimmer's music is better than the movie it's actually in. You know, uh, he played tracks from like Interstellar, for instance. I don't like Interstellar that much, but the music from that movie is beautiful. Uh, mm-hmm. Ditto Pirates. I saw Pirates, you know, at World's End one time. I listened to the soundtrack dozens of times, and uh, it, so it was an amazing experience. Uh, the music sounded, for the most part, pretty good. Some of it was too loud, like he did Man of Steel. And I, I didn't even real, remember that he had made the theme for Man of Steel. <laughs> but then he started playing. I was like, oh, my gosh, that, like, piano score is amazing. But then, like, when he really kicks up, it, it, it kicks up in the middle section. It was a little bit too loud for me to appreciate it, you know. So there's that some seems parts, about right, though, for Man of Steel. <laughs> there's some parts where it was a little bit too loud. But overall, a little too much. Yeah. <laughs> overall, it was awesome. And um, uh, especially for the encore, like, he, he got to the end of the concert and he had not played Inception, which was something that he did at Coachella. So I, I knew he was going to play Inception. And so I, you know, me and my significant other holding it down in the audience, like applauding as loud as we could to make sure people understood not to leave <laughs> so that we could hear Inception. Uh, starting up like an Inception chant. Dave is uh, that guy. It's like, you haven't played Inception yet, guys. It's time. It's time. Can't you hear it? Yeah. Inception! Play Inception! That's, I, I mean, Jeff, that is an exact imitation of what I was doing at the I concert. I'm just imagining like the people like uh, the people on the floor, right? Like, like the general admission folks standing in front. I know that doesn't exist in a yeah. concert like this, but I just imagine that, like getting shirtless and just being like, yeah, Inception! <laughs> yeah, I mean, the music is loud enough and energetic enough for that to have actually happened. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the, the Inception, that's like my favorite part, especially because the way he introduced it was with these spotlights, like shining brightly into the audience and like sweeping the audience and then you just hear bwom you know like slowly like just a bunch of bwoms like eight bwoms and then like he comes eight back bwoms. on stage that's yeah. so many bwoms it's dude. so many bwoms and then like the anticipation was so anyway uh you yeah. can probably tell i had a great time and hans zimmer live uh his next tour is gonna be this summer gonna be in la i think and uh i might try and go because it was nice. so, it was so, so like 
it just you realize how like how much of your life is shaped by this person, how much of your uh, appreciation for movies is shaped by this person. It's like wow, I can't believe I ever considered not going to this thing. So, uh, so you Hans give Zimmer, it uh, eight out of eight bombs. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. All right. Thanks for letting me go on about Hans Zimmer a little bit. And if you are interested in seeing Hans Zimmer live, in my opinion, totally worth it. Just go to HansZimmerLive.com. All right, David Hardware, what have you been watching this week? Oh, a bunch of things. I mean, since we've last recorded, uh, several TV shows have started up. Uh, the Leftovers Season 3 has begun. We are two episodes in. And my God, I love this show. It is just like, it is one-upping Season 2 in many ways, which was already one of the best seasons of TV we've ever gotten. It's still just as weird. It's still just as, like, meaningful and emotional. Um, I do have to say, if you're watching The Leftovers and you haven't really caught up yet, do so immediately yeah. because somebody will spoil what's happening in the uh, the second episode. I, I heard is, season it's just a nice, it's a fun thing. It's I heard really Season fun. 3, Episode 2 is probably the best episode of The Leftovers. I, I don't know about that, but I do think it's such an in joke. It's such a it's such like a hilarious and crazy thing that I think only a show like this could do. <laughs> indeed, um, indeed, and it's kind of why I love it. So yeah, Leftovers still good. Leftovers season three on season. HBO right now. Uh, what yeah. else have you been watching? Also, Silicon Valley season four, which just began, and yeah, still as good as ever. And they're trying to move this plot along and maybe split up the team a little, but it's hilarious. And uh, Stephen Tobolowsky is back. Now I, I, I'm not joking. I literally had lunch with Stephen. Right, <laughs> be- I had lunch with Jack Barker uh-huh. immediately before coming to record this podcast. <laughs> so uh, it was super fun to see him on the season premiere. And he is clearly season. having a lot of fun yeah. in the season too. Like he is, he, he's sort of like the new nemesis, I guess, to the Huli CEO, yeah. and that sets up one of the best gags in the that I've ever seen in the show. So yeah, still good, still hilarious. HBO. Once again, killing it. Uh, there's something to be said about HBO Sunday nights. Like they still own it. They still got uh, it. Yep. And that's yeah. not even not even counting Game of Thrones coming back in July. So yep. So yeah, just uh, that's impressive in the age of streaming and when Netflix is like debuting a new thing. It seems almost every single day we have a new piece of content from Netflix. Um, yeah, HBO still owning this like prime spot of TV. So that's good. And I also got to see uh, Colossal, the new Nacho Vigalondo film. And it's incredible. Um, it's it's so much more than you think it would be when you, if you've heard descriptions or even seen the trailer. Um, definitely one of the best films I've seen this year, and it really shows that Bigelando is continuing to like approach genre in a way that nobody else is. Right? Yeah. He's always taking these genre themes and tropes and kind of twisting it in a way that's really interesting and very human. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have time to talk a bit more about that in depth because there's a lot of spoiler talk there. Yeah, that's Colossal. It's a new film with Anne Hathaway and Jason Sudeikis out in limited release right now. Uh, and I'm looking forward to talking with you uh, about that in like an After Dark in the Future of Indress. It should be an interesting conversation. Jeff Kanata, you've been watching stuff. Yes, uh, on, the, on the same tip that Devinger was talking about, about shows coming back, one of my favorite shows, Fargo Season 3 premiered. Fargo, the, uh, I guess, anthology series is what it really is. Mm -hmm. Each season, a new cast, a new story, but all sort of around the theme of Minnesota, of uh, some sort of murder crime-ish thing happening. 
And I know you two knuckleheads were not uh, on board for how amazing Fargo is. Well, I'm on board with it as a good show. I don't think it's a great show. And I think this episode, once again, proved that. But yeah, go ahead. I think it is one one of the greatest shows. (laughs) And uh, I think this episode proved that yet again. Uh, It is really, really cool to see Ewan McGregor in it. He actually is playing two parts, two brothers. And um, it is immediately engrossing and uh, bold and crazy and full of tension and mysteries. And you are dropped right into a really cool uh, series of relationships and uh, immediately something bad happens and people get themselves in way over their heads. I mean I think if there's one overarching theme of each of these seasons, it's average people getting in – way too deep with very dangerous people very quickly and mm-hmm. watching these these sort of average americans try to figure out <laughs> what ha- what to do when they are in way over their head it is so much fun for me and uh, I, I think the writing is brilliant the directing is brilliant it is one of the most gorgeously shot shows uh i i I can't wait to see how this this yeah. season goes. Well, Carrie Coon is in it now, and that's uh, that's a good thing. Carrie Coon is having a moment in seriously. our society right now. Yeah, yeah. So uh, great to see her in two like very big shows, and to me, she's the best part of the season so far. Uh, but yeah, it's I'm interested in seeing where this goes. It's just I think, especially after Legion, uh, which I finished, it took me a while, guys, but I, mm-hmm. I, I I went through it, and I think the way I described it was like there are four good episodes of a TV show in there. <laughs> In the eight Legion episode, like, in the yeah. eight episode arc, in yeah. the eight episodes of Legion, and then the rest are just people shouting David, and I can't <laughs> wait for your supercut, Dave, because uh, that's like half that show. But I think Fargo S three is off to a stronger start, at least. Like we kind of know where some of the stuff is headed, but uh, I hope it uh, keeps building up. It's I think I think I just kind of chafe against the way Noah Howley tells stories, and yeah, that's a, it's just like a personal thing, maybe. Yeah, perhaps. Well, I am looking forward to checking it out, Jeff. I uh, really enjoyed Fargo season two. And so uh, we'll look forward to seeing how he continues the story in some way in Fargo Season 3. What else have you been watching? Well, I mentioned watching The Detour, the TBS show created by Jason Jason Jones and uh, his wife, Samantha Bee. And um, I talked about it being sort of this road trip movie, you know, The Detour. It's about this family that's trying to get to Florida for all kinds of reasons that that become – that are revealed over the course of the season. Uh, So it's like how do you do a a season two to that? You know, it's a – finite thing you, you call yourself the detour and it's about not being able to get to the place you're going i mean it was very you know uh, uh, national lampoon's vacation meets uh judgment night is what i called it yeah this second season which is what i my wife and i are are well into at this point didn't you is, just have the finale recently Did yeah that, yeah i haven't uh, we haven't gotten all the way through the second season but i think the second season is even better than the first season and they have done the complete opposite. Instead of trying to contrive a new detour, they have done the exact opposite and have delved deeper into the backstory of this family and created some really wild, wacky things that have happened in their past. But it is so funny. I mean, I am laughing out loud every episode. It is way over the top and crazy. There's some wonderful physical humor, some great gross-out humor some very smart humor, some fun, um, you know, like re- revelations about our characters that are come way out of left field. It is, 
I, it is really climbing up there as one of my very favorite half-hour comedies. It's so smart. It's so funny. There is one episode in season two, I think it's episode three, that is about basically about the husband and wife having sex and you know wanting to have sex and their kids like interrupting them and all this stuff. It is one of the funniest half hours I've seen in a long time. And my wife and I kept looking at each other and like relating way too much to so much of the stuff that was happening. It just – it is – really funny all right that's the detour season two and do you just dvr it on tbs like how do you watch it jeff yeah yeah you can actually watch it i think on tbs.com as well gotcha but i started dvring after i after i heard about season one that's what we've been watching this week ladies and gentlemen let's move on to film news so uh new listeners might not be aware that Jeff Kanata and versus I should say me and Devendra like the the three of us but versus mostly, the world really Jeff Dave. Versus us, yes. uh, you know Devendra and I put forward this idea that Avatar uh the James Cameron biggest grossing film of all time does not have any cultural relevance and we never defined what cultural relevance was but <laughs> largely speaking it's like okay do you see avatar on lunch boxes do you see people dressing up as avatar uh when they go to halloween you know do you do people do impressions of avatar people yeah. on do SNL? people talk about it do people talk about prompted. avatar you yeah. know uh so All these vague things that that basically make you think that, hey, this is a property that's still culturally relevant. Of course, Devendra and I think it's completely irrelevant. Jeff Kanata seems to think that uh, Avatar continues to have a lot of relevance. Uh, and, uh, And James Cameron has announced he's making four movies set in Pandora. So the idea is that if and when these movies actually come out, it's going to help return Avatar into the cultural spotlight. Uh, and w- whether or not that comes to pass, uh, whether or not it actually does that, you know, is is up for debate. But here's what's not up for debate: the movies keep getting pushed back. Uh, <laughs> that, that's true. <laughs> but you know what doesn't get pushed back, Dave? Uh, your heart. What? That's true. Also my heart. <laughs> but but also Pandora Land at Disney World, which you and I need to go to. We got to figure that out. We got to figure that out. Um, but yeah, I, all the way back to October of 2010, guys. October of 2010. Let me take you back. You know, the iPhone was just coming out for the first time. I mean, I don't know when October 2010 was, but that's <laughs> the, in, in that year, Avatar 2 was announced for December of 2014. That was that was in 2010, Jeff Kanata. Right. Uh, and it has since been pushed back multiple, multiple this is times. James Cameron we're talking about here. I mean, have his movies ever not been pushed back? The answer yeah, is no. Yeah, this is pretty extreme, though. I mean, this is a... Uh, this is a okay. So October 2010, Avatar 2 will open in December of 2014. Then in January 12, uh, 2012, uh, he said it'll open in December of 2015. In August of 2013, he said it'll open in December of 2016. And then in January of 2015, he said it'll open in December of 2017. This past week, on the official Avatar Facebook page, uh, James Cameron posed for a picture with his crew and announced the start of a concurrent production of Avatar 2, 3, 4, and 5 with Avatar 2 due out on December 18th, 2020. <laughs> now, 2020. my inclination is to believe that these Avatar movies are complete vaporware, uh, <laughs> like th- that we will never see another Avatar. But movie. they are making them. That's the thing is, is because he's now sure. in production, I feel like, hmm, maybe yeah. the movies actually will come out now. I, 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 I feel like, Jeff, we, your, your, your stuff about delays, like that's the stuff that's going to happen now. 
Do you know? Yeah. So it's going to be like decades until we see it. Maybe James Cameron, guys, is just waiting for the robot revolution, right, for Skynet to happen. He's just going to keep pushing it, right? So when the singularity, <laughs> which is uh, predicted to occur maybe between 2025 and 2030, should that occur, um, we're doomed. So he doesn't have to make these movies anymore. I think that's what we're waiting for. <laughs> He's waiting out the clock on the singularity. Yeah. On humanity. Uh, <laughs> on I humanity. think, okay, I want to say a couple of things. Please. First of all is I don't understand how people – Continue. People will have such short memories, it seems to me, that they will continue to underestimate James Cameron. <laughs> Every time he starts a project, people are like, well, this one's the one that's going to fail. This will be a complete disaster. How, you, can't, you can't make a movie about a sinking ship. Everybody knows how it's going to end. You can't – oh, my god. It's, the delays are insane. He built an entire tank of water. No one's ever made – Waterworld was a huge failure too. This is going to be a massive failure. Right, everybody said that that movie got that delayed. That is a good David Chen impression you just did. It is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> delayed I don't think delayed we're delayed. saying these movies will fail. I'm saying these movies may not ever get made. That's that's my. <laughs> they are making them right now. They're making them. I. They've been making them for what seven years? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean to be fair, going into production is a different step than sure, just sure. talking about the movie coming out. But yeah, I'm still very doubtful. So this dude. <laughs> I, I probably have said this before, but this is my position. This dude does not need your money. He, as you said about Hans Zimmer, he has yeah. fuck you money. He, he, the last thing in the world he needs is to apply himself over the next, what, three, four years. Uh, well, it's until 20 – what is it? Last one comes out 2025 or something crazy? <laughs> What's the last one come out? Uh, it looks like uh, 2024 is when Avatar – Four will it's not need to spend those years of his life working on uh, this. Yeah, yeah, 2025, I think, is Avatar 5. Yeah, Avatar 5. Right. December 19th, 2025, Avatar 5. He does not – there's no need for him to, to do this, right? There's no there, – he doesn't need to prove anything. He doesn't need to make any more money. He's not running out of money anytime soon. He is doing this because he wants to, because he's passionate about it. He is laying out an extraordinarily difficult, unprecedented roadmap for himself. He's making four movies at once. No one has ever done that. And it is an insane thing to take on. It is. And yeah. so you got to think this guy, A, cares a hell of a lot about it, and B, believes in it. And James Cameron makes amazing stuff. And he constantly – all of – you know, anytime there is a piece of news about this franchise, all the <laughs> haters come out on the internet and they post their snarky hate and they get all uppity about how it's so fun to, to crap on the first Avatar. And I wish there was some way I could force them not to see any of these <laughs> next movies because all of them are going to co go see them. And I, I think your wish will be granted, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff, I'm totally on your side. I do think James Cameron cares a lot about these movies. My point is I think he's the only one who cares about these movies. We'll see. I think I think <laughs> okay, Jeff, I think uh yeah, there's a lot of good points you're making. Um it, it is gonna be a big question how well Avatar two will do. Uh I, I'm curious what's gonna happen if Avatar two does poorly. Like what if Avatar like mental exercise, what if Avatar two is disaster? You know, and are they going to just keep making three, four, and five? Like they they won't be done with them by that point. You right. know what I mean? Well, there's uh, a weird, there's a weird like two year gap between 
a couple of them, right? There's like yeah. one. They come out every year, and then there's a weird two year gap. Yeah. So Avatar but, three is December seventeenth of twenty twenty one, and then Avatar four is December twentieth of twenty twenty four. So that's like a three year difference right there. Yeah. So that is a lot of time for plans to be reworked if uh, if Avatar two and three don't do well. That being said, I think uh, a lot of people have, have made this point. China is going to be the silver bullet for this movie like they are building so many theaters in china china was such a big uh, a, a, like a big proponent or you know uh, a, a big uh, supporter of the first avatar film i think like the but china what, receipts alone are going to be enough to sustain but what uh, what data point can you possibly point to that indicates that it will not do well in america I, I, <laughs> you're just your your weird gut feeling that you don't like this movie, and that a lot of people around you don't like this movie. No, but Jeff, I like we like the movie. I yeah, we keep having the same argument every time. Like that's well, the thing. I think, I think it's, it's a perfectly fine some, movie. Yeah, I don't understand what what it's the most successful movie ever made. Why do you have this weird assumption? I'm not saying the second one is going to be also the most successful movie, <laughs> ever made, but it but it's there's no indication. At, at all that it won't do well there there isn't it's more like man it's weird for the most successful movie ever made right and i think it still is to like for me the disparity between those results and like my memory of the film and like its overall impact on like society or pop culture even like it's it's just weird how and maybe that just shows how vague the film was right like it's just weird how it didn't leave a lasting mark, and that's something I find just kind of hilarious. That's yeah. all. So that's well, what I keep pointing out. Well, yeah. I mean, Jeff, the, the answer to your question of, like, why would you think it doesn't do well is because it has had no cultural relevance. That being said, it's Avatar is coming back in a big way, right? I mean, there's a Cirque du Soleil show now. <laughs> there's an a Pandora Land at Universal Studios, I think, right? Or wherever the hell. Uh, where I don't even know where it's located in Florida. Uh, and, and so – and then these movies are going to come out. Uh, maybe, right? I predict that that Avatar two is going to dazzle everybody, and it's going to be a wildly entertaining, extraordinary experience. Because that's what this guy makes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Your son, your son will be like five years old when I know. I'll be able to take it. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> it's it's insane to imagine like how old kids will be. By the way. Um, <laughs> since the last Avatar to this one, like it's a, it's it's just insane. Like just the amount of time, the amount of like, will will somebody who was a child when the first Avatar came out even remember what's happening? I yeah, it was yeah, uh, we'll it will see. have been eleven years since Avatar yeah. one has come out until Avatar two comes out. Well, so. it's not unprecedented. I mean, how many, how long is it between Return of the between, Jedi and Episode one? Between yeah. first and second films, yeah. Well, so we'll yeah. see. We'll see what happens. Uh, just so you guys know what the Facebook post said, uh, he, there's a face. There's an Avatar Facebook page at facebook.com/slash/avatar. Forty-seven million people like that page. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's forty-seven mil- Like, if, if every one of those people bought a ticket, this movie would make back its money easily. Uh, so here he says, "Great to be working with the best team in the business." Avatar takes flight as we b- begin concurrent production on four sequels. So what does that mean? Who knows? Like, is it pre-production? Is it? Are they shooting things? Has the yeah. script even been written yet? We don't know. We don't. Uh, Here's what I will concede to you: <laughs> this isn't the last delay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, you're, 
Here's a prediction, Jeff. Your son will be as old as you are today. Yes. No. Yes. no. You're going to see your son graduate from high school by the time. <laughs> I guarantee you these movies come out. I, I, I feel like I can guarantee you that they're going to be thrilling, exciting movies. But I also I, I don't think they're coming out when he said they, when they when he's saying right now. But I also don't think it's going to be much later than that. Do you want to do you want to predict? Do we want to do like predictions for when what year we think Avatar two will come out? Currently, this is going to be the longest prediction. Currently slated for Ava- for December twenty twenty. Right? Uh-huh. Do you have a prediction for what year Avatar two will come out? Do do we have a prediction for what our lives will be like? We, I mean, in this in this vision of the future, are we doing the sh- we're doing the show in twenty twenty two or whatever? Yes, yes theoretically, yes. we're still doing the show. So. Oh God, I hope we're gonna hope we're gonna ask somebody to pay up. Yeah, <laughs> I hope that it, there's it's not because we don't have anything better to do. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's because this show is so wildly popular. I know, I know, yeah, the show is just this show is just a stepping stone for you, Jeff, on your way to like a much bigger uh, movie critic <laughs> the, career. The but, Avatar, uh, the like official Avatar podcast, that'll be you, Jeff. Guys, I'm Here putting my foot. I'm putting my foot down. Let's like let's yeah. put some years down. I right? think 2021, December 2020. Avatar the takes 2021. Jeff Kanata, you want to take 2020? You want to do that? I'll, yeah, I might as well take 2020. I'm gonna I'm gonna put. I, I honestly think he's gonna delay it again, but um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna put my faith in Cameron and just stick with 2020. I mean, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna be the. I'm gonna be the. The price is right one dollar of this uh, of this prediction. Yeah, I mean, 2020 is three years away. Like if he started it today, I could see it being done by 2020. You know, so sure. it's not outside the realm of possibility. I don't think movies four and five will even happen. <laughs> Like that's my prediction. Okay, the guys by twenty twenty five, what the hell will movies look like? They will be holograms, like injected into our brains. You can't, you can't plan a movie series right now. What are you talking about? I, I gotta say, there's if there is one filmmaker in the world whose just force of will will make this happen, it is James Cameron. Like that dude just wills things into existence. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna say. Summer 2021. That's why I'm going to put right. down. That sounds good. Yeah. Uh, as my Avatar 2 prediction. It's really not a summer movie, Dave. It's more of a fall. <laughs> more of an award season contender. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We all know that. Uh, but I, I think there is a lot of potential to Devinger's prediction that 4 and 5 will never happen. Or at uh, least not in the form of a movie, right? It'll be like a weird <laughs> virtual more like opera, a, a like tale in- passed down by a campfire. <laughs> It'll be well, it'll be an oral history. That's <laughs> gonna be Avatar the Four. Fire when they were retelling the story of Star Wars. It's gonna be like that, like after the fall of man. Yeah, like that's what yeah. we'll remember. That has nothing to do with James Cameron and the ability of these movies to be made. Though. How that's do you think a... man will fall? All the computing power required to produce these movies will result in a uh, you know in a self sufficient in a self conscious machine. Yeah, Jeff. like yeah. he he is making his own future. The future is what we make, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Very, very T2 Matrix-esque feature that he's helping us to make. It's a long con. All right. All right. So, doing this sometime in 2021, I am uh, summer 2021. Jeff is December 18th, 2020. I thought you guys would be way more cynical than 2021. I thought you'd be like 2025 for the first one. Well, I think this production photo – like, so the photo, just for people who aren't looking at it, is – uh, probably, I don't know, 200 people standing in front of a massive Avatar poster in what appears to be like a soundstage. Yeah, they're doing so, something. They're, they're doing working. Something. <laughs> they're, doing, they're doing something, you know? They're doing something. So, <laughs> something. I don't. <laughs> 
<laughs> whether they're actually shooting it is uh, is in question. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, okay, speaking of release dates, guys, bunch of other release dates. You know, uh, uh, Disney announced a bunch of release dates. Okay, a uh, bunch of changes, bunch of updates. All right, and just wanted to throw them out there. Uh, Colin Trevorrow's Star Wars Episode Nine, May twenty fourth, twenty nineteen. They were shifting it from a uh, a winter movie, which is what the last, the you know, the last Star Wars movie and this one uh, coming up one is into a summer movie. So that's kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, which evidently uh, someone pointed out is like a week or two weeks away from uh, the proposed Avengers release date. Yeah, seems like that's all got to shift around, doesn't it? Uh, potentially, potentially. Uh, so you're you're talking about uh, which movie am I thinking of? Avengers. So the, May twenty fourth, twenty nineteen, and currently, Untitled Avengers is coming out uh, May third. The 3rd. one they can't title May third, twenty nineteen. Yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah. you figure that's, that's a good foolish. that's a good three week buffer though, Jeff. Like, I don't I feel, know, man. <laughs> no, I'm being serious. I, th- I, th- I think like you know these movies make most of their money in the first three weeks, um, and so I think that'll be okay for Avengers. You think? I, I, yeah. I feel like that is that's. From the same studio? Why do you want to eat your own lunch? That seems weird. Yeah. All right. Um, well, we'll see if it changes. Uh, Disney also revealed that the untitled Indiana Jones 5 will no longer hit theaters in July of 2019 and will now arrive on July 10th of 2010. Uh, 2010? So, I'm sorry. 2020, I should say. 2020. <laughs> no, my bad. Uh, also, John Favreau's uh, The Lion King has been set for July 19th of 2019, and Ava DuVernay's A Wrinkle in Time will open in March 9th of 2018. So you have less confidence in Avatar 2 than you do in Indiana Jones 5? Uh, I, I never said that. But <laughs> okay. uh, I actually honestly don't have that much faith in Indiana Jones 5 either, to be honest. Me neither. Uh, is Indiana Jones 5 going to happen in July 10th of 2020? That being said, you know uh, Disney generally does not uh, F around when it comes to... Uh, the release dates, I mean, they're obviously changing these, but they, I, I don't know that they've ever announced a film release date and then the film never came out. You know, I don't think that's happened very, very rarely. So it feels like there's some momentum there with, uh, with Indiana Jones 5. Uh, Frozen 2 comes out November 27th, 2019. There's a Wreck-It Ralph 2 that's going to be November 21st, 2018. Uh, and Gigantic, which was originally set to open in November 2018, now opens November of 2020. Uh, so that is a big delay. That suggests that the movie is undergoing some pretty serious reworking. Uh, all, of all these movies, any ones you're looking forward to the most, Jeff Kanata? I mean, episode nine, yeah. uh, certainly. Um, I'm hopeful for an Indiana Jones that is not Crystal Skulls. But, um, you know, I, I was very excited when Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls was announced. I thought that was a, that was a no-lose situation, and I, and I was wrong, as wrong could be. So... I would love to see a re- redemption for that character. I don't. I don't know. I mean, in 2020, how old is Harrison Ford going to be? Well, Harrison Ford uh, right now is 74 years old. Yeah. So he'll be 77 years old. Shia's back, My guys. Lord. Yeah. Wh- whatever happened? Back. You know what's hilarious? Uh, no one ever mentions Mutt Williams as like <laughs> he's the person that it was, the, it was supposed to pass on to him. Yeah. I thought no cultural currency. <laughs> Yeah, right? That's for sure. No, yeah, that is for sure. In fact, if you had said Mutt Williams, 
what movie is that from? I would have been like, I have no yeah. – some dog movie? Was that the <laughs> that the dog that dies at the end of that one dog movie where all the dogs die? Oh, man. I don't know if I'm excited for episode nine is the Why thing. Not? Especially after Jurassic World. Like I, I'm all for Colin Trevorrow. Um, that was uh, – he did safety not guaranteed, right? Safety no, not guaranteed. That was fine. Uh, Jurassic World was – I enjoyed it. It was fine, but it was so empty and so stilted. It actually did remind me of like the Star Wars prequels. Like I'm, I'm hoping they have a good script for yeah. the follow-up. That, that, is, that does, eight, eight is going to be so good, you guys. Don't you? Have, it is. It is. And then that's part of the problem too, right? You have J.J. Uh, Abrams, you have Ryan Johnson, and then you get to Colin Trevorrow, and I'm like, I, ooh, I don't know. I don't know if I should be excited about that. That's all. All right, let's move on. Before we get to this next piece of film news, guys, I need to announce a spoiler alert. I'm going to give you about you know, 10 <laughs> seconds to turn off your thing or skip forward to the review. But we are going to be spoiling every single M. Night Shyamalan film ever made. Okay, mm-hmm. Every single M. Night Shyamalan ever made, starting in the next few seconds, I'm going to start spoiling them. It doesn't uh, even have anything to do with news. We're just, we're just planning to do that. I'm we're just, just going to say the end. No, no, no. Uh, so I'm talking every... M. Night movie. I'm talking The Visit. I'm talking Six uh, <laughs> Six Sense, Unbreakable, Split, you know, Lady in the Water. Science. How dare you spoil The Six Sense? Just assume everything is going to be spoiled starting now. So if you don't want to know the ending, and I'd really suggest you don't, because uh, I'm channeling Jeff Kanata right now, uh, skip forward until our review of Free Fire. So spoilers for every M. Night Shyamalan film coming up right now. Okay. This week... Uh, I think his last day or two, M. Night announced that his new film is going to be entitled Glass, and it's going to be an Unbreakable sequel, and it's going to be released in 2019. Now, by the way, that is a release date that I believe in, Jeff. Yes. Of (laughs) all the dates we've said today, that is the one that I feel like is going to happen. Well, that's because he's reaching into a drawer and pulling out the script (laughs) that he already wrote. Uh, So he revealed a stream of updates uh, on Twitter uh, this morning, I think, uh, and he said, Here we go. Finish the new script. It's taken 17 years, but I can finally answer the number one question I get. Are you making a fucking sequel to Unbreakable or what? My new film is a sequel to Unbreakable and Split. It was always my dream to have both films collide in the third film. The iconic Bruce Willis returns as David Dunn. The incomparable Samuel L. Jackson returns as Elijah Price slash Mr. Glass. The virtuoso James McAvoy returns as Kevin, Wendell Crumb, Patricia, Dennis, Hedwig, Barry, etc., etc., Guys. Anya Taylor-Joy will return as Casey Cook. I'm reteaming with my partners Jason Blum and Universal Pictures for this crazy comic book thriller, and the film is called Glass. Universal Pictures will release Glass on January 18th, 2019, all over the world. Guys, Drop the mic. <laughs> guys, we finally have a reason to resist and, and make sure nuclear Armageddon doesn't happen <laughs> in the next two years. I mean, this what is... about your son, Jeff? Oh, also, also my son. Also my son. Yeah. <laughs> kind of important. Uh, I think this is amazing news. It is exactly what one would hope for. It is, I mean, you w- walk out of Split and you just dream of this kind of announcement. Uh, and I feel like Shyamalan himself is right in this wheelhouse of like, he's he wants to hit it out of the park and just be back in a 100% real way and the fact that he's got the whole cast on board this could be the coolest like long form trilogy mm-hmm. 
ever. It, it, it just how long this has played out and how much anticipation there is. I just I'm over the moon for this news. Yeah, at Slash Film, we were kind of we we had a conversation in the Slack about like what are trilogies that have taken place where, where the first movie is like a ten or twenty year difference in in time from the third movie. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and there's not that many of them, you know. Um, uh, at least not ones that are only trilogies, right? There right. might be some that are five, like Star Trek is like ten movies long, you know. Potentially um, Avatar, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, potentially Avatar. If that movie could be even worse, but yeah. uh, like before Sunrise, you know, before Midnight, like mm-hmm. that's that's uh, one of the big ones. Um, and yeah, this this could be another one, and. My one of my biggest complaints about Split, which you know, for those who are listening, know, know that we're spoiling that movie now, uh, is a backdoor. I get not a not a prequel, but um, I get, what is it? What is a parallel? It's, it's like, like a side quill. It's a side, yeah, a side quill. That's a good one. Yeah. It's a parallel. Uh, I guess. I guess it is technically a sequel because it takes place after the events of Unbreakable. It is, right? Yeah. Um, but one of my complaints was, oh, if this is all just for some elaborate rug pull. Uh, where oh my gosh I didn't know that it was this and then like there's nothing else to follow it up like we don't see Casey Cook ever again I'm gonna be really disappointed yeah uh, that's something I said during our review of Split and it looks like this movie is actually gonna happen and that actually makes me really excited because I hope that you know the Casey Cook story is brought to a good conclusion I hope that uh, James McAvoy and Bruce Willis and Samuel L Jackson I mean the idea of Bruce Willis and, and Samuel L Jackson going to battle again. Um, even like in a battle of wits, really does excite me. Uh, that dynamic was a great part of Unbreakable. Well, here's uh, the question that I have for you guys: the, the structure of this trilogy so far has been, you know, to sort of make the movies and then have the end of the movies turn them on their head. Right, right. So, so make a movie that seems like a different movie. In the case right. of Unbreakable, like a comic book. Uh, well, I guess it was kind of a thriller, right? It was kind of a yeah. thriller, and then it became a comic book origin story. And uh, Split was kind of a horror film, and then became yeah, or, a, a, it was a thriller, or well. a thriller, yeah. Yeah. or a horror origin story. So, is Glass going to be going to be a rom thriller? Yeah, it's going to be a rom com. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe he just goes the complete opposite direction and just makes a straight up sequel where we're in a comic book movie right from the beginning, mm-hmm. and it's just like those two movies led up to this. And that could be really fun, you know. Could be fun, I, or have be, have like the big climactic battle at the beginning of the movie, and the rest of the movie <laughs> is just all aftermath. That, yeah, that, that, that is totally that. an M Night move. I mean, I am yeah. I am really excited for this. You know, I mean, I, yeah. I wasn't I wasn't a huge fan of Split, but uh, f- firstly, the idea that we're continuing these stories, but also that M Night is coming back. You know, after being in director's jail for a while, uh, and that he made two pretty uh, good movies that like made a lot of money, and now has earned his way back into the spotlight. It's just. It's very encouraging. It's very. It's kind of a redemption story, like this meta redemption story. Devinder Harrow, is this exciting to you? It is very exciting to me, as you guys know. I was a big fan of Shyamalan, and then I was so heartbroken with Airbender. Like, and also because like I, I'm the Airbender fan among you know the slash film cast. Uh, oh, I yeah, am too. I, I'm okay. Good. I am feeling all the emotions right now because I want him to succeed. Um, I also don't want him to break my heart again. So I don't know. I think a desperate Shyamalan is like the best we have. Like that's <laughs> him at his best right now. The yeah. other question I have is based on the title, is this a Mr. Glass origin film? Mm. And mm-hmm. we get the, you know, Samuel L. Jackson, Bruce Willis, 
James McAvoy thing in just the third act. And and the Mm -hmm. first two acts are, you know, some young unknown playing a young Samuel L. Jackson. Well, according to Shyamalan, he discussed recently what possibly has become of David and Elijah Price. Uh, my thought bubble would be, and again, don't hold me to this, Elijah never got out of the institution. He was just a guy who believed this, but David doesn't quite 100% believe it this way. He just thinks he's particularly meant to do this and is kind of faded a little bit. Like this idea of comic books that Elijah was saying, the comic book world is based on reality, that it's real. There is no evidence for this. It's this crazy guy who has this bone disorder who's in an insane asylum, but then this comes up and he's like, oh my god, he's right. Uh, didn't really understand that whole quote, but the idea, I guess the idea is that it's, it takes place while uh, Samuel L. Jackson is still in this institution, yeah. right? Or, and David or, Dunn never quite believed him until this guy appeared. Yeah, well, it's I, just I, kind I, of interesting too. Huh. Yeah, I feel like maybe it's you know those two guys teaming up to take down yep. Yep. the Beast. That was that was our thought proposal. Remember when we yeah. uh, reviewed Split? I think it's going to be like a Hannibal Lecter situation. Yeah, that would so be rad, really kind yeah. of fun. Very I'm, exciting. Uh, Don't so mess this up, M. Night. <laughs> Don't we believe in you. We believe in you. Don't mess us up, okay? All right. Uh, well, that's all the film news we got for today. Let's move on into our review of Free Fire. Here he is. A thousand apologies. I hate it when people are tardy. It's good to meet you, boys. Thanks for coming out. You didn't masturbate before you got here, did you? You what? <laughs> I told you I don't want to work with anybody who's carrying a loaded weapon. Fuck the small talk. Let's buy some guns, eh? You're on a different level now. The guy who represents this merchandise, his lawn is bigger than your whole fucking country. Justine, as gorgeous as ever. Well, you've uh, put on a bit of weight. Fuck off. That was from the trailer of Ben Wheatley's Free Fire, and it stars like a bunch of amazing people, including Army Hammer, Charlotte Copley, and uh, Brie Larson. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb, guys. Uh, Free Fire is, a, is set in Boston in 1978. A meeting in, desert, in a deserted warehouse between two gangs turns into a shootout and a game of survival. Now, guys, Free Fire performed disastrously at the box office. You guys hear about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it is one of the worst openings for a movie that is out in over a thousand theaters. It made $1 million. Uh, and wow. that's, a, that's a bummer because... This movie, in my opinion, is a crowd pleaser, and it's certainly, in my opinion, Ben Wheatley's most uh, widely appealing and accessible film. Clearly his most commercial movie. Yeah, Yeah. his most commercial movie. It stars Oscar winner Brie Larson, uh, very likable, and uh, my understanding from interactions with uh, people online and uh, at least one person who worked on the movie Free Fire is that there was basically no advertising campaign for this movie mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um there's some facebook ads some twitter ads some youtube ads but i gotta say the poster's terrible uh yeah poster's kind of a bummer but uh you know the, I, I don't re- recall seeing a trailer for the movie there, there, there were a bunch of trailers there, um, i mean i, 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 trailers trailers online, but I don't remember seeing yeah. a trailer in front of another movie okay. yeah, um yeah. and there was it was not on tv right like that's the yeah. big one it, they, they didn't advertise it on mm-hmm. television there was no super bowl ad for free fire uh, they just thought, hey, here's a great film. It's low budget. It has a great cast. Uh, let's try and get this out into the world using internet buzz alone. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the movie has failed horribly. Yeah, why um, is it a wide release? That doesn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, it feels like it should be like limited, You know, maybe in two mm-hmm. cities and kind of r- solely rolling out. 
but the, the advertising campaign was either extremely limited or non-existent from a TV and out-of-home perspective. And the movie failed, and so I think it's kind of an interesting experiment. It also shows you that despite how quickly everything's changing, you still need conventional ways of reaching millions and millions of people if you want to open a movie like this really big. So uh, th- those are some just very initial, off-the-top-of-my-head conclusions. All that being said, Jeff Kanata, I know you have strong words to say about Free Fire and overall thoughts. I do. I, I think it's such a shame that this movie didn't perform better. I loved it. I loved it. If you're a fan of Quentin Tarantino movies or uh, you like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, for example, you just got to go see this. I mean, you, you can just stop the podcast now. Just go see it. Because chances are you didn't because almost nobody did. Go see it. You don't need to even know anymore. I went in obviously completely blind as I tend to do. And I, I loved how this movie just plopped me down in in – a scenario with a whole bunch of characters that already have established relationships. There's some backstory and it, it doesn't spoon feed me any information. I have to suss it out myself. And it's very much a bottle episode, right? It's very much a contained story. It's like Reservoir Dogs or, um, um, the Hateful Eight. You know, it, it is, it is this pressure cooker and everybody is flawed. Everybody is a little bit. Shades of gray and, and not – there's no clear person to love or hate and you're just sort of in this amazing, tense scenario with these people. I don't even want to explain what happens but it is really funny. It is really fun. It is uh, it, it, it is sloppy and messy and, and uh, out of control in all the best ways. There, you know, it doesn't. There's a lot of shooting that happens in this movie. It's called Free Fire. You can probably expect that, but it never feels like a video game. It feels like real life. Things are really messy, and and uh, you know, people mostly miss. And it's it's it is wonderfully rough around the edges in that way. Uh, and the characters are all really distinct and interesting and flamboyant. And it's got this cool time period that it's set in, but it. It doesn't necessarily have to have been. It's just there for flavor. There's a lot of flavor in this movie and there is – it is just a, a really excellent hour and a half of your life. It, it is a great, small, awesome movie and I wish more people would see it. All right. Doing your hardware, how about you? What would you think? Yeah, I really liked it. I'm not sure if I loved it yet. This feels like a movie I have to watch maybe another time to just really get into it. Love the characters, um, especially Army Hammer. Like, Army Hammer is just putting on, like, just like a nice, like, giving no shits vibe to all of this. Like, he's he's just so flippant about it. I found that kind of funny. Uh, And Brie Larson, love as always. And, yeah, I I love most of this cast. I really like the characters. Um, The thing is, like, this movie I think I should love because it's basically an 80-minute long, uh, you know, shootout. And I just didn't feel like the shootout was fine, but it didn't feel, like, particularly immersive or inventive in a way that I'd expect from a movie like this, right? You watch something like Hard Boiled or any genre movie or even things like it, um, I feel like those set pieces tend to have momentum and like they tend to like start and stop and like they have they have a good vibe to it. Maybe because they basically made this a prolonged shootout, it felt just kind of wearying after a while and it didn't feel like they did anything super new and fresh. So I really, you know, I liked it. Thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, I was probably expecting a little more. 
All right, let me say a few things that uh, I appreciate about this movie. Uh, overall, I really enjoyed this movie as well. As well, I give like an eight out of ten. Would recommend. Uh, and there, there are a bunch of things that are virtues of this movie. One is uh, Charlton Copley. He's had a pretty mixed career. Some of his movies are awesome. Uh, like District 9, and some of his roles are pretty bad, like Old Boy and Elysium, uh, arguably chappy, depending on how you come down on that movie. This is a movie that I feel uses Charlotte Copley really well, you know, and uh, I really liked how over the top he was in that specific role. Nobody better at being that just guy you want to punch in the face. Yes. Right? Yep. I mean, there's, there, I remember in the 80s, the, the dude that plays Peck in Ghostbusters, <laughs> you know, who's also in uh, Die Hard. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like, he was the guy, you just, if you needed a guy you want to punch in the face, let's cast that dude. You know, maybe he was a perfectly pleasant actor in real life, but I feel like Charlton Copley has inherited that place in, in cinematic history because he, nobody does it better than him. He's just it's so not, great. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed, agreed. Uh, he, what I like about the movie is it feels like you're watching a uh, like a, a master clockmaker or some something like wind up uh, a clock and then just like let it go and then it all, you see all these like tiny pieces whirring together and snapping into place and doing what this whole thing has been built to do, which in this case is thrill you. And uh, I, I felt like just he, he puts all these pieces into place, introduces mm-hmm. all these characters, introduces the relationships, the tensions between them, throws them all into a mix, you know, stirs the pot really heavily, and then boom, it's uh, it's an explosive combination, literally. But uh, I think you know I understand Devendra's complaint. The movie is not super visually inventive. Uh, and it's not as stylized as movies like the ones John Woo has directed. And not only that, but basic things like the geography of the space aren't conveyed super well. I, yeah, I yeah, completely yeah. agree with that. I, yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing. I got a lot of tweets when I tweeted about how much I like this movie that, um, hey, I could have used an establishing shot or two you know, yeah, to yeah. Like, <laughs> lay out how these people are related to each other. Apparently he um, used Minecraft to help like map out. The shootout, but like I wish that information was conveyed. To right, I'm yeah, sure he film. had a clear idea. It, it never yeah. felt like he didn't have an idea of where they were, but it felt like it was not conveyed a- adequately to the audience. But it felt th- like a movie that would have been a bear to edit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. To the film's credit, what I really enjoy about it, one of the things I enjoyed about it, is that I was never bored because the movie kept introducing new elements yeah. into yeah. the mix. Right, so. Uh, okay, shooting happens and then it, it quiets down for a bit, and then you know there's kind of a stalemate. But then something else that you did not anticipate <laughs> will come into the mix. Some element of the environment, something from outside the environment, will enter the scene, and and then you're like, oh, how are they going to deal with this? You know, and that becomes a whole question that's really interesting. Uh, so I liked the pacing of the movie. It just it felt very well paced. Very mm-hmm. well executed overall, uh, and of course, you know the the relationship between the characters and the dialogue that is going to be hit or miss depending on like your mileage is going to vary on that. I enjoyed it. I can see that some people might find it annoying, but I thought it was very funny. I was laughing throughout the whole movie. Yeah, I mean, so, you knew who those characters were like immediately from yeah. just their dialogue and their actions. So that's pretty. That's pretty. You know, that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, just uh, a lot of things went into establishing those characters very quickly, right between. Uh, the the dialogue, uh, the actions they take, as you said, Devendra, but also things like costuming and makeup, right? Mm-hmm. Just like a, a haircut, right? All those things help build these characters who don't have that much dialogue, 
uh, when you take them like individually, but they need to make an impression, and I think in general they do. So uh, I had a lot of fun with this movie. I'd really recommend it. Um, I would say go see it in theaters, but by the time you're listening to this, you might not even have a chance to. Uh, but catch it when it comes out on home video. Catch it when it comes out on uh, on Blu-ray. Uh, do we have any? Do we want to go to spoilers? Do we need a spoilers for this, guys? I mean, I, there's stuff yeah. to say. There's yeah. Stuff. All right. Let's let's do some spoilers for Free Fire starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. Now. You want to be fooled. So here's my question for you guys: mm-hmm. Is there anything? broader that this movie is trying to say or is it just kind of this genre exercise because uh there is some talk online i haven't i haven't read any of these uh takes yet but i've seen it uh stated that this movie is about like the triumph of you, you know uh the the one female character who by the way does not really triumph like she doesn't no. triumph at all she doesn't no. yeah. she, she also gets she, i mean she's going she's, to jail she's the last person standing <laughs> Yeah, but she's but definitely she, going to jail. She's definitely yes. going to jail. I, I mean, uh, she does kind of get the jump on all of them, right? Like she's yeah, the one that yeah. hires the uh, the dude, the old dudes that come in and, and try and kill everyone. Right. Um, but uh, the only thing I can think of is about what this movie's trying to say is there is a line where uh, someone tells Charlotte Copley's character, "Hey, like, calm down." Calm down, like it's it's okay. And he's like, I can't, I can't stop now. I've been insulted. Yeah, right? yeah. It's and so it's kind of like this this yeah. idea. Maybe it's maybe it's an indictment of toxic masculinity, right? Of mm-hmm. like an eye for an eye makes the whole world go blind. That like if you try and shoot back, that uh, everyone's gonna end up dead. Well, there's right? a yeah. there's a point there's a point at which everyone just stops trying to salvage the situation <laughs> right <laughs> which is pretty wild like we've all just we're now we're, we all have to murder one each one yeah, another i guess that's we're doing this now cuz yeah, yeah, up the to only a, certain, way up out. a certain point you they could have figured out a way to stop it right like right. uh, cuz okay the first two guys get shot and then it's like okay well maybe we can figure out a way <laughs> around this right right it's, it's really a movie about the failure of diplomacy That's like, <laughs> it really is it really is yeah i mean i uh, think this the- is our lives right now guys like yeah. we are we are countries right now just like we're, we're gonna make this deal everybody cool yeah. everybody cool oh no yeah. what you did what oh fuck <laughs> you boom and then, yeah. then we fight in world war three unfortunately we elected charlton copley as our president <laughs> Uh, well, we really need Army Hammer. You know? Yeah. <laughs> hey, kudos to him, by the way, Shelto. Yeah. It looks like he did his own fire stunt. Oh wow, that wouldn't <laughs> don't you think? Me. He he seems like a crazy person. So yeah, uh, I mean, if you've seen, and I mean that in the best way possible. If, you, if you've seen Hardcore Henry, you know that the guy is game for anything. So oh yes. yeah, uh, yeah. So it, it sounds like we overall enjoyed the movie. Any anything mm-hmm. else you want to say about the ending of the movie? I mean, it, it does seem like also a. Sp- Spoof on action films in a way too, like just the way this all starts. Which uh, so basically, this ends up being a huge shootout because one guy, like um, you know, what threw a bottle at another guy's cousin. Which okay, that's messed up and totally messed up, but like clearly not part of the business here. But that sets off a chain of events. That's it. It's just kind of funny how like at the end of the day, like there was nothing really like this wasn't like a 
big problem. This could have been solved, but all of a sudden we're all dead now. So well, I, it feels like action movie commentary. I here. like how inconsequential a lot – or not inconsequential, but more like um, you know, some movies do uh, introduce subplots that are never followed up on. And usually that irritates me. But in this movie – I actually really appreciated it. Like, uh, I I don't think we ever find out the truth of what happened to his cousin, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just his word against his word. Although it sounds like, I mean, at one point, like, the guy is just, like, pretty much, like, fuck you. Like, I'm not going to apologize for this thing I did. Like, I think at that point, I thought he was just being, like, admitting to it. But he could have also just been an asshole. I don't know. Yeah. Or also, there is a, at one point, there's a guy that comes in from the outside. I don't recall which team he's on. Uh, but he gets murdered right quick. <laughs> like you, you think, oh my gosh, this guy's going to shake everything up. What are, this crazy, you know, outside factor is going to really change everything? And then, nope. Like five minutes after he's introduced, he's dead. Yeah, uh, I, I just thought that was. Really I feel like Green Room did that better when, like, there there was a point right. Yeah, there's where a point where a guy like comes turned, in to save the day, right? Yeah, yeah. and he like, gets his nope. head blown off. Yeah. Um, uh, but I always appreciate when that happens because it is such a head fake. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know? It, it, you, you think, oh, wow, this is going to alter the entire equilibrium. But nope, it doesn't at all. So it, It's such a great – it's such a fun movie, man. There, yeah. I love the sound design. Oftentimes you'll hear like a voice just off off mm-hmm. in the distance just being like, oh, yeah, why are you shooting? You know, some <laughs> just hilarious, just wild line that is really funny. Um, the, 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 the sort of weird – New normal that happens where every single person is injured and they're all hiding out and everybody wants to kill everybody and they're all sort of just kind of talking casually. It's it's like <laughs> it's just a fun, weird experience to go through with these guys. And I didn't ever even have like a, a person I wanted to win. You know, although I was I was kind of digging Army Hammer for most of the movie, but. Yeah. Yeah. Even he was kind of a dick, and how he goes out is so fun and abrupt. Like he's, oh, I got a story about John Denver. You know, so great, dude. It, it, it is funny how non-lethal most of the bullets are in this movie. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I, I wish Army Hammer had better luck at the box office. Because I, I, I think he is a really talented guy. But I mean, look at a bunch of his last few movies: uh, Lone Ranger, Man from Uncle, and now this. He's great in the movies. None of them do very well, right? Yeah. That being said, I think he's going to be fine. Um, I think he's going to be he'll, fine. He'll have a lovely career, but it just uh, well, just you know he can just rest on his handsome for the rest of his. Days. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, all right. Well, that's our review of Free Fire. A lot of fun. Hope you guys have a chance to check that movie out. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be reviewing next week. In the meantime, Devinder Hardwar, where can we find more of your work on the internet this week? I am at Devendra on Twitter, and you can check out my tech work at Engadget.com. I've been covering the Tribeca Film Festival, so check out my VR coverage there. How about you, Jeff Kanata? Uh, I have a video game show called DLC every Monday. You can find that at 5x5.tv slash DLC. I have another video game show called Newest, Latest, Best, which is actually every single day on Anchor. You can find that at anchor.fm slash NLB. And I have a three times a week comedy show called We Have Concerns. You can find that at wehaveconcerns.com. Find all my stuff at davechen.net. Next week, we're going to be giving you a review early. Uh, we we rarely get a chance to all see a movie way before it comes out, but by next week, we will all have seen Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Uh, so we'll be dropping that review next week, and so you can have it queued up uh, for when you see the movie on Thursday or Friday and, and want to listen to our review right after. That'll be uh, waiting for you. So that's going to be what's in store for you guys next week on the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later.
All right, welcome everyone to the Slash Filmcast After Dark. This is the after section of the show where we talk about a variety of random topics that are of no importance to anyone and are probably going to be you know, likely off-putting to a lot of people. Yeah, uh, you sh- no one listens to this anyway, but even if you are, it, it's if you somehow lost touch to your device, <laughs> you, no harm, Your no Bluetooth foul. connection is broken and yeah. now you can't, you can't turn it off. Anyway... Uh, so Jeff Kanata, our topic this week that I wanted to talk with you about is magic shows in Vegas. Uh, I, I love magic, Dave. I, I love magic. I love, love magic it. as well. I love magic as well. I, you know, I, I was thinking when, uh, we were growing up, I mean, you're slightly older than me, Jeff, but when we were grow- growing up, magic was a much more mass audience, uh, piece of entertainment, right? I mean, well, I remember watching special, you know, specials on like the main channels, like ABC yeah. or NBC, for you know Lance Burton or David Copperfield, right? Yeah, uh, I was going to say thanks in large part to one of the people we'll be talking about today, David Copperfield. I think he, in large part, was the guy who made it, you know, mainstream American uh, entertainment. You know, making the Statue of Liberty disappear, walking through the Great Wall of China, all of those specials. I remember staying up late and watching as a kid. Yeah. Um, so, and, and for some reason, they're no longer there anymore. I mean, there is Fool Us with Ben and Penn and Teller, and that's I love that show, and I love oh, Penn I, and Teller. But show. other than that, I mean, when was the last magic show that everyone well, in the country saw? Right? David Blaine kind of did that oh, for a yeah. while. Right? Yeah, David he Blaine was, had an ABC special. That's right. Okay, yeah, he did those big stunts where you know he would do a show, and then the end of it would be the big stunt, uh, you know, freezing himself in a block of ice or what all yeah. that stuff. Even even then though even then though the, the Blaine specials are very different than what David Copperfield was doing. For sure, right? like yeah. it's like oh I'm gonna put a freaking pickaxe through my face, you know? Yeah, like that. It's he all goes, stunts. He yeah. goes up to Will Smith and he like puts a pickaxe through you know, pickaxe through David Blaine's face, and uh, and that's like the the magic trick. Right. Or or he did this crazy thing on this ABC special where he was able to create uh, like an aquarium in his stomach, and so he would like spit out frogs and stuff from his mouth that was pretty cool but anyway yeah. uh they're they're much more likely to be gross and much less likely to fill you with wonder do you know what i mean yeah um and so that's a has, bummer that's has a chris bummer. angel ever done a special i think he has yeah, right? oh, he had a tv show called mind freak oh right uh, mind and, freak and uh we actually went to go see mind freak so we mind we, freak uh we saw we saw two specials uh, or I should say two live magician shows while we were in Las Vegas. One was Chris Angel's Mind Freak and one was David Copperfield. So right. walk me through the decision <laughs> to see Chris Angel's Mind Freak. OK. So uh, firstly, Chris Angel, for those who don't know, is a magician who has been parodied uh, many, many times. I mean he, he was on TV for quite a while. Uh, he is one of the most successful magi- magicians in Las Vegas. He has his own show at the Luxor Hotel. Uh, and uh, he was memorably parodied in the uh, movie Burt Wonderstone, the, uh, right. that magic movie, which is like not a very good movie. But Jim Carrey played a Chris Angel type who hosted a, a special called Brain Rapist. <laughs> which I thought was right. was a clever uh, parody of Mind Freak, and, uh, and and so so he's kind of this iconic figure. In Isn't it weird in how in Las Vegas? I, I kind of think he is to magic as Carrot Top is to comedy. Yes, and isn't it weird By how the way, they perform in of, the same building? Just so you know, Carrot Top wild. has a show in the Luxor as well, and they are both wildly successful in this weird microcosm that's 
Las Vegas. But outside of that weird little world, they are kind of wide, wild, widely derided. <laughs> you know, right. like there's they have no respect in their own communities. They're kind of viewed as these uh, hacks, you know, that that uh, that aren't actually very nice people in a lot of ways. And 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 yet in Vegas, they've managed to be a constant, consistent draw. Right. right. I mean, part of it is that they sign contracts that last many, many years. Well, but right? you only sign contracts that last many, many years if you can get people to show up over many, many years. Right, right. Uh, that's true. So, yeah, they're still raking in lots of money, right? Uh, and it is, it is weird. It's kind of this mini – like it's – when you go to Vegas – it's an insane place, right? There's no other place like it where, hey, guys, like, let's go to the middle of the desert, build the largest hotels in the world, and uh, just you know, squirt a bunch of water all over the place, like in these fountains and stuff that are going to evaporate instantly, uh, even though we have a dire need of, of fluids all over the place. I guess uh, um, Dubai is the only other place on Earth. Uh, that's like that bizarre, you mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but a lot of Cirque shows, a lot of magician shows that would not be able to sustain themselves you know, in other parts of the country. But right. because the tourism is so strong in Las Vegas, people will go and see Caratop or, or they'll see uh, Chris Angel. And right, one thing, which, is, which is, brings us to why did you? Okay, why did I go see Chris Angel's Mind Freak? Because, I mean, we were, we were trying to, see, to decide like what to see. Okay, I'll tell you some of the things we were considering. Uh, we were considering the Cirque du Soleil. Is it like one of the two, a few Cirque du Soleil shows like Ka or O at the Bellagio, which I still haven't seen yet. Right. Or um, O is the water one. Ka's the naked one, right? Uh, no, Ka's not the naked. Zumanity's the naked one. Ah. And then there was a uh, there was a new one based on Michael Jackson's work right. called One that I actually kind of wanted to check out. Um, but all these are really, really expensive. You know, they're usually over a hundred dollars for a ticket. And Chris Angel was not over a hundred dollars for a ticket. <laughs> Chris Angel was closer to seventy dollars for a ticket, right? Well, that still ain't cheap. Uh, still ain't cheap. Then I read some reviews on Yelp uh, that were. Really, really negative on Chris Angel. You know, just <laughs> nothing gets Dave Chin to see your thing. <laughs> like really, really negative reviews of it. Someone tweeted at me. I saw Chris Angel on my honeymoon, and it ruined our wedding. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, my significant another and I just drove eighteen hundred miles. Well, let's see if it'll ruin our relationship. Well, we kind of wanted, kind of just wanted to see if it was as bad as some people were saying <laughs> oh because some people were saying in the in the Yelp reviews it, like someone wrote a yelp review that said one one star on yelp i deducted one star for every time he asked us for a positive yelp review <laughs> which, which, which I thought, like the idea of chris angel who by the way is a multi-quadrillionaire you know like yeah apparently his his uh, revenues is like 70 million dollars a year or something like you that. you know what those dollars don't get you dave <laughs> positive in, yelp reviews in, that's in, what <laughs> inner peace i thought was gonna be the answer uh, positive um, yelp so the idea of someone who is one of the most successful and well-known magicians in the world and in Las Vegas specifically, A, needing Yelp reviews and B, needing to insist on how he is one of the best music- magicians in the world. Uh, I-, I just thought I have to – you know, we both had this morbid curiosity. You are of- nothing if not consistent, David. <laughs> we both had this mor- morbid curiosity of like why would uh, – what is this person like? What, what, like, is it really that bad? And we went to go see it, and discovered that 
It is, in fact, not only that bad, it's way worse than that. <laughs> because <laughs> a lot of magic shows, uh, they they have people from out of town. They have international... Like uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm going to put it out there. A lot of Asians. Okay, A lot of Asians coming in from out of town. Chinese people, Koreans, Japanese people. They come right. in from out of town, and the way they enjoy entertainment is not the same as you and me, Jeff Kanata, as Americans. You know, uh, They don't clap. They don't hoop and holler and make a lot of noise. Uh-huh. And so uh, oftentimes magicians need to do a lot of work to get the audience into the show, right? They need right. to like be like, was that awesome? Come on. And then wave their arms and ask for people to clap, right? Yeah. Uh, Chris Angel's Mind Freak Live at the Luxor is like, please clap the magic show. <laughs> <laughs> he solicited applause so many times that actually and, – and, and, and it felt like he would be genuinely hurt if he did not receive it. <laughs> Uh, that my significant other started – so they have this thing at, at actually both the magic shows we went to. He said, hey, if you're really into the illusion you're seeing, uh, just stand up and, and applaud. You know, We like seeing that. If you're not into it, just do what you're doing right now, which is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and my significant other started standing up and applauding just so he would stop bothering us to wow. stand up and applaud. Like, now, because but did, what, what he was doing <sighs> – was it? Did it merit any kind of appreciation? I mean, was he? Is it just an obstinate crowd, or that was seeing a truly amazing things, or was he asking for applause to things that were completely underwhelming? In, in my opinion, the show was fairly underwhelming. I mean, I mean, I think the framing of the show is just very, very odd. It starts with uh, th- there was no cohesive vision to the show. It didn't. All, it did not all feel like it was. One theme, right? David Copperfield's show was A, super classy. B, it felt like there was a uniting theme behind the entire show, right? Of him uh, – the, the theme of David Copperfield's show is live the impossible and like your dreams can come true and like here's right. how my dad helped my dreams come true, all this. It's, it, I found it very moving. You know, you saw the yeah, same show, right? Sure. When did yes, you did. When did you go? What What? Uh, I was you? like, uh, I mean, it was like uh, two weeks before you did. It was, I mean, oh. I just went. Okay, it was, okay, okay. Because uh, I was there for Heroes of the Dorm, the 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 uh, esports tournament, gotcha, and we went. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so that was. It felt like a very cohesive whole. Chris Angel's Mind Freak did not feel at all like a cohesive whole. Because I'm going to tell you some things, right, that happened during Chris Angel's show. You saw me tweet storm about this, Jeff. I'm going to drop some knowledge on you now. Uh, it opens with a video that has every single Chris Angel mention ever in the history of mankind. I well, mean, in his defense, uh, Weird Al's live show starts with the same thing, and it's charming and awesome. It, it, it would have been charming and awesome if it was f- five minutes shorter. <laughs> I mean, it, it felt like it went on forever, right? Uh, it just felt like... Okay, we've seen him on like Law and Order SVU already, and we've seen you know like I don't we've seen yeah. him on CSI and Law and Order, and re- I think he's referred to in the movie Bridesmaids. Like, I, like I, I felt like it, it just was a little too much to, to begin with. Okay, and then the illusions came, and um, I found them to be overall like fairly unimpressive. Most of the illusions were making someone appear somewhere where they weren't before, or making someone disappear. You know, and appear somewhere where you wouldn't expect, and that was—I I would say—that was a good seventy percent of the illusions, right? Was just that thing, and okay. um, so I, I found that to be pretty underwhelming. 
And then things start to get really batshit towards the end of the show, Jeff, because uh, about two-thirds of the way through the show, they bring out this massive saw, and they cut a woman in half, right? But they don't do it like with, in a box like the old-fashioned way. They do it um, where they, they splay her out on this metal table, and they saw her in half, and underneath her there's a sheet, and blood just goes everywhere, all of the sheet. And they hold up the sheet with the blood all over it, and the woman's cut in half, and then that's the end of the illusion. <laughs> like, they don't put her back together again. <laughs> and Well, but you see her in half? Yeah, you see her in half, and that's okay. it. <laughs> that's it. You don't see her put back together again. Which, like, so if so you maybe see they're my, just murdering people yeah, on stage. Like, they, they literally could be just killing people on that stage every day. <laughs> I mean, you There's remember... There's no magic. It's just... <laughs> It's You're, just violent. You remember Michael Caine's speech in The Prestige? He's like, it's not enough to saw a woman in half. Or, you you know, like, you can't just make a bird disappear. You need to bring it back again. Right. right? That's why you, Michael Caine is not a mind freak. <laughs> you can't just saw a woman in half and not put her back. You need to bring her back, you know? Right. Uh, okay, so that was pretty distur- disturbing. But then after that, they start, he started playing these videos of child cancer patients. Oh, uh, and, and these videos of um, kids who had suffered and most often who had died from child cancer. So there's a video of this kid. Tell me he's not magically taking their cancer away. Okay. So there's this kid who you see a video and it's like 1996 to 2013 or, uh, you know, 2001 to 2013 or whatever. God. And this kid is like like he lived. He's 12 years old or whatever. And he says like, uh, you know, I believe that with the human spirit. Um, you know, you can achieve anything or like, you know, a- anything is possible. Uh, this kid who, who, by the way, died. So it was a, a, I'm like, I'm not sure what message you're trying to say. Like he, he's saying how indomitable the human spirit is, but then the kid was, you know, lost his battle of cancer. So I, I, my, my brain is just firing in all these directions, trying to figure out what's happening. Right. And then uh, he kind of brings a wheelchair onto stage that looks like a child's hospital wheelchair. It has like, you know, all this pastel and ABC stuff all over the blanket and then uses that in an illusion. Uh, An assistant comes on stage. She's dressed as a cancer patient with a cap on. Like Yikes. as though she's bald and has had chemotherapy, and they, he like makes her disappear. And so it's just like makes her levitate or something. I don't remember exactly what the illusion was, but it was. It felt very in poor taste, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's one th- like Chris Angel is is personally passionate about this because his two year old child uh, had cancer, and so he mm-hmm. like I, I don't doubt Chris Angel's sincerity about dealing with childhood cancer uh, and wanting to fight it. But I think the way you do that is you do your you do this amazing magic show, and at the end of it, you're like, "Hey, we're taking donations for childhood cancer. It's outside by this bin. You know, please, any money you can." Right. He did that, but then he had this whole act that was based on childhood cancer, uh, that was just very weird and off-putting, and it felt like mm. kind of offensive, you know. And uh, and then like there was this the, the the act concluded with like there's these screens, you know, massive screens all over the stage. And you see pictures of kids flashing on the screen, right? Like, oh, like cross dissolve into another kid's face, cross dissolve into another kid's face. And then it cross dissolves to Chris Angel's face with a tear coming down it. Oh, boy. Uh, so it just was very weird. And then immediately after that, there was a dance party with lasers. 
Okay. <laughs> so he's like, guys, appreciate life, dance party. And then he made everyone get up and dance. Wow. Was the place full? <laughs> it was, I would say it was like two thirds full. Yeah. It was pretty full. Uh, it was not a bad crowd. But it just was really, really weird. And Chris Angel felt very needy. And I felt like I wanted to say, like, you know that scene in Swingers when Vince Vaughn says to John Favreau, like, dude, you're so money, you don't even know it? Yeah. I, I, I kind of want to say that Chris Angel, even though I don't think his magic show is that good, I think yeah. if he came onto stage with, like, real swagger, like, he doesn't give a crap about what we think about him, that would have been far more impressive to me. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, it would have yeah. been like, oh, wow, like... I didn't like what he did, but at least he is committed to it. You know, like he doesn't yeah. need, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need his audience. Uh, all characteristics, by the way, which I felt when I saw David Copperfield show. You know, like he asked yeah. for applause, but I never felt like David Copperfield needed our applause. No, and and talk about expert in in talking to the audience, in dealing with volunteers from the audience. Like the guy never at any point felt. Like he wasn't completely at home. Yeah, in control. Doing what he was, yeah, in control. Completely right. in control and, and just at home at what he was doing. Um, so yeah. David Copperfield is a billionaire, right? Yeah. Uh, he still does 15 shows per week. I can't even imagine. I can't <laughs> even imagine. It is so much work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's two shows a night, man. Oh, it's I, crazy. Uh, it's great. And I think he does three shows on Saturday as well. He's a billionaire. Wow. He owns a set of islands, uh, right. a resort that he's converted into a resort, $37,000 a night to stay at, at his resort. Yeah. Um, but he loves, the, he loves it so much. You know? Yeah. He doesn't have to do it, but he loves it so much that he, he – I mean, the dude could retire if he wanted to. But he loves it so much he wants to keep trying to deliver – magic into the lives of the audience and uh, we both saw it we both loved it right you loved it right i really I enjoyed it, it yeah. yeah yeah i thought it was great um i would like to talk full spoilers about oh yeah oh of course of course okay. before we get to full spoilers one last thing i want to mention about chris angel's mind freak is it just felt like that show was stuck in the 90s in terms of its tone and aesthetic the the, the well, yeah. it opens up with this video of all of his media appearances and it's Chris Angel singing the song like I am a mind freak I am a mind freak it's like this like kind of punk rockish thing that feels like it's very much of its time right. the women are all scantily clad and like dance around for our amusement and it just felt like ugh, like it, it I felt icky watching it you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and and that's in stark contrast to David Copperfield's show where I don't think there's a single female assistant in the bunch. Actually, no. He did use some female assistants to like help prep the crowd. But uh, everyone, all his assistants are all dressed in black. They're right. very inconspicuous. Like they're not drawing attention to themselves at all. It's, yeah. it's, it's like night and day in terms of the tone. So all that being said, we both love the show. Let's talk spoilers for the David Copperfield show. I mean, I, I did spoil Chris Angel's show too, but you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> you yeah, know, this is if you're planning to go to Vegas at any point. Yeah, I, I think you should see David Copperfield. It's it's quite a show, and it, it would be a shame to spoil it. But if if you're not planning to see it, I mean, this is we're really going to talk about all the yeah. all the big. I, I'm stuff. glad I saw it. I'm glad I saw it because it's kind of a bucket list thing, right? Yeah, uh, and I've I loved seeing his magic when I was a kid, and so seeing him live is just a delight. So I agree, uh, and I actually got to be part of the show. I was oh, pulled wow. in beforehand. So 
I have I have so many questions for yeah, you yeah, let's about talk. the show because we we really did see the same show uh, just a couple of weeks apart. So I'm yeah. sure I mean I know he changes his show frequently, but I'm yeah. sure 99 percent of it was the same. Um, first of all, do you recall the word yeah. that was plucked from the cards above that woman's head? So so yeah. So the for those who are listening who aren't going to see the show, let's just explain the, the the magic. Like he does this thing where he'll like throw a frisbee into the audience. And have that person throw a frisbee, the person who catches it throw a frisbee to another random person, invite that person onto stage, you know, and then like invite another random person onto stage, like randomize the selection from the audience. And then there's this one thing where he has a woman walk ar- or a person walk around randomly. He suspends all these words, like 50 words from the ceiling in- yeah. on these gigantic index cards. And they all have strings. And he has this woman walk around blindfolded until she's randomly stopped. And then she picks a word off of this. Uh, off this massive thing of that has all these words hanging off it, yes. right? And uh, all the words on this massive like diorama or whatever or um, mobile, right, are are uh, are different words. None of them are the same word. Um, and then he'll make that word appear on the wrist strap that you put on when you walked into the theater. Every, so every person in the audience has this paper wrist strap. You hold them up at a certain point. They show black light. On them, and the yeah. word is on your own wrist. Right. So, what was your word, Jeff? Well, do you tell me what your word was first? <laughs> Let's count from one to three and both say it at the same time. <laughs> um, I have a story with mine. So, okay, my t- word was faith. Okay, so that's crazy. So here's here's what happened. We're going into the show, and m- the person I went with, my friend Reza, he tweets out to and, and tags David Copperfield, yeah. David Copperfield. Uh, I'm going to show my friend he, – he's seen the show a bunch of times. Yeah. I'm going to take my friend at Jeff Kanata to see uh, David Copperfield. I'm so excited. I can't wait to be inspired. So we go in and sit down and shortly after we go in and sit down, <clears throat> a, a representative comes walking up to us. And we're not close to the front or anything. It's yeah. a big theater. We're kind of off to the side a little bit. Representative comes up and comes up to my friend Reza and says, hey, would you like to be in the show? And he goes, oh, I've seen the show a bunch of times. My friend Jeff, though, would love to. And she's like, okay, would you like to be in the show? I was like, yeah, absolutely. And she's like, well, come backstage. We'll tell you what you have to do. So they pulled me backstage and I went and I never – I didn't get to see David. But I, one of his um, you know, assistants like walks me through what I'm going to have to do when I get pulled up. Mm-hmm. And it's that whole goose bit that happens at the end. Um, the duck bit, yeah. Yeah, duck. Sorry. Um, duck, duck, goose. I don't know. And then we have to run. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so we surmised that he saw the tweet and and because you then you know you're registered in his database or whatever, he knows what seat Rez is at and they were like, oh cool, this guy's awesome, so let's pull him up on stage. We assumed that that's how we got yeah. selected. At the end of the show, when you raise our our hand, the word on our wrist was inspire. Uh huh. And Reza had tweeted, I can't wait to be inspired. Mm. And I said to him, oh, my God, that was so crazy how – because I knew he'd seen the show a bunch of times. It was so crazy how you like wink-winked about what word it was going to be because clearly the word's the same every time. And he goes, no, dude, when I saw it, the word was completely different. So I can't help but think he then chose inspire as the word based on that tweet. It's very possible. It's very possible. I mean I think – Firstly, that trick is very convoluted, right? To get the woman, the person to walk around in the rope, right? Like yeah. to randomly choose. It just—it's a huge setup, 
And it seems to be pretty obvious that when she chooses a rope, I don't think you can see the cards at that point, right? Well, like, like I, I think he basically forces he forces see. a card yeah. onto her. That's like, how all of those gags work. It has yeah. to be a forced word, right? Yeah, it, yeah. He decided. I, I feel like he decided to use the word "inspire our night" because of what Reza wrote. Well, that is awesome. Um, but also, yeah, it's uh, it, it's super cool that the words are different every time. Yes, but I think I think, but I think that is the least impressive trick because I think it's the most easy to figure out what it is, right? Okay, but. If you're changing the word every night, because yeah. it was it was still a Brad Pitt poster for you, right? No, no. <laughs> well, who was it? There's a separate trick where he asks someone to write down um, a famous person, right, on a on a thing, yes. and then like converts that person into like a poster yeah. that has a bunch of events that happen. For us, it was Abraham Lincoln. Oh my God. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> is that not insane? Because you think – because you, you're thinking if it was the same famous person every night that it would be – Much easier to create that on the fly? I, I, I don't know, dude. I, like what, what was the instruction he gave to that person for that trick? He was, said think of, a, think of the, the, the first uh, – think of a, a famous actor, I think he said. I see. I see. I, I feel like he messed that trick up in our, in our show because I think he said think of someone you know. And she wrote Abraham Lincoln, and the poster is Abraham Lincoln. And I was like, um, what if she just said, like, my brother Tom? You yeah. know? Uh, so I think he was supposed to say famous person, but, like, mess that up. I, I, I don't know that there's an unlimited set of posters that he has. Do you know what I mean? Well, I don't think there's an unlimited set either, but the fact I, that I think there's like, I think maybe there's, like, you know, maybe there's, like, 20 that he alternates between or something like that. It's still so rad. Yeah. And, and the – like, I don't know how you print that poster fast enough. You yeah. Just, Purely logistically, like he's got, he's got templates backstage, right? And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like he, he has assistants backstage running around printing stuff out during I the guess. show. During the show, like license plates are printed out during the show. I'm certain of it. You know how? How do you print a license plate during the show? He has a machine that prints out license plates. Jeff. Okay, all right. The spaceship is what gobsmacked me. Okay, okay. So so let's. Let's run through a few of the illusions we saw, okay, and then get – because that whole thing I think is worth chatting about, right? So there's a thing where he did um, like close-up magic with a piece of tissue paper. He converted that into a rose, right? Yeah, it was awesome. Um, In the audience. He did it in the audience. That was fun. away from everybody. He did a thing where um, there was a guy whose sister had died or whatever and – he wanted to have that person be in the trick, right? Do you yeah. know what I'm talking about? That and was it, a plant. That was a, that that guy was not real. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, but he basically makes a person disappear from the audience and go on to stage. Yeah, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, the storytelling felt a little bit rushed around that. Um, there was a bit where he blew up a balloon, and then blew up a balloon inside it and popped only the balloon inside of it. Yeah, and then handed it to the audience member to to just any audience member who then felt around that balloon. Yeah. And there was nothing in there to combust the balloon. Like there was no agitator. You know, you think, oh, he's got some device in there that pops the balloon. But no, the guy's got a full balloon with uh, – it was crazy. There's a mentalist thing where he had people like call out random numbers from the audience. And then uh, later you would find that not only did he have license plates that had that number printed out, but there was also a piece of paper inside a lockbox that had the numbers uh, printed out. That was pretty cool. 
Yeah. Um, and the cool, and the, one of the one of the very cool things is at the very beginning of the show, you email your you email to him the city that you are from, and he has like a heat map yeah. for, uh, displayed showing everybody's uh, city, which is kind of neat. But they also use that email to send you back an email before the show starts. You you see that you received an email before the show starts that. When you then open the, and then you you have every table that you're sitting at has a box that you put your cell phone in, so nobody can touch their cell phones. At the end of the show, he tells you to take your phone out of the box, open your email, and see that you got the email before the show started. And in that email is an attachment, and on that attachment is David Copperfield, a picture of David Copperfield holding a document that tells you everything that happened in the show using all the names of all the random people he found. In it, it had my name because I was in the show. Like it, it was crazy, dude. Um. Uh. So then he did the duck trick, which is classic. You can actually find this online, where he puts a duck into a box, uh, and then has someone else hold the bucket. Was that you? Did you say you that did was that? me? That you was held me. the bucket, and then he puts a duck into a box in center of the stage, takes apart the bo- the box. The duck is gone, and then it reappears in the bucket. So right. you held the bucket. I did, and the duck came out of the bucket. Correct. And, okay, so then the most controversial part of the show happens, which is he has this new segment of the show called Blue 32 that is about how uh, – it's about his relationship with his dad. And uh, it's an extremely elaborate story about how he never got to tell his dad he loved him using this kind of signal that he – this hand signal that he used with his dad. But his dad befriended this blue alien. Yeah. And so he's going to – the alien's going to help David Copperfield travel back in time so he can tell his dad that he loves him. Right? Yeah. And I read a bunch of Yelp reviews and boy did people hate this, Jeff. Like they just it is, hated this segment. It is the biggest sort of – it's like you're not in a magic show for a while. You're in this weird special effects show uh, and, and it's, it's a str- – I mean – it's a strange thing. I I liked it in the, in the sense of just narratively, it was kind of a beautiful sentiment, and where it ends up is is beautiful. I mean, it it's a little disingenuous because I think it's I think it's a hundred percent bullshit. You yeah, know, like, like he, he, his relationship with his dad, according to public sources, is excellent. You know, or right. it was it was excellent before his dad passed away. There was no thing that he never got to say tell his dad goodbye or anything stupid like that. Yeah. Like. And there's a he shows photos of his dad throughout the whole thing, and it's clearly an actor he hired to pose for those photos because at the end, like he's <laughs> in the world at now with with yeah, his dad, yeah. And so it's, but it, that all doesn't matter because it's all about just conveying a feeling, right? So it's you know it's kayfabe, right? If you're talking wrestling terminology, it's it, it's the the fiction that we tell to entertain, and and I, I give it credit for that. I think the animatronic alien is a remarkable piece of technology that you get to witness live on stage. And then at a certain point, he manifests a spaceship. (laughs) And that, I don't know if it it blew you away as much as it blew me away, but it fucking blew me away. So, so, uh, there's one moment in the show when everything goes completely pitch black and then the lights come back on and there is a massive spaceship in the theater. You say massive. It, it, that doesn't do justice to it. It yeah. is it is taking up the entire theater. It feels like it was like a foot and a half away from my head. Yeah. It, it felt like it was like, let's see, like I'm guessing – I want to say like let's say 20 to 30 feet in diameter, right? It is it's gigantic. Huge. It's like it, it could be a building. You the, know bl- I mean? the lights go out and they come back on very quickly 
and it's there and it stays there and it flies around the room and you can't really tell that it's connected to anything. Yeah. And then it leaves. It like flies out the back of the theater. And uh, the whole time I was like, what? What is making this thing move? How is how how is any of this happening right now? Yeah, see, that's what I appreciated about the the blue thirty two. Like I, the narrative elements. Firstly, I, I admired what he was trying to do. You know, I admired the uh, that he's trying to mix kind of magic and cinema together. Right. right? And even though he didn't quite succeed, it's like good effort, and he, you know, it's a, it's a really great piece of animatronic, right? So oh, it's, it's not smartful. it's not like he half-assed it; like he tried his best. By the way, what was the voice of the animatronic uh, creature? Do you know? Do you recognize the voice? I recognized it, but I can't recall right now. Exactly, it was in a New Yorker accent, right? Like it was kind of yeah. a gruff New Yorker accent. Yeah, I rec- I was like, I know that voice An actor. actor. Yeah, I know that voice actor, but I don't I don't know exactly who he is. Um, so, so I appreciate what he's trying to do, but yeah, people like on Yelp reviews and on TripAdvisor, they're like, they, they, they thought it was so stupid. I did not think so because he was mixing in illusions during that whole thing. Right. You know what I mean, yeah. Like he did the the poster time travel bit. He did the UFO freaking appearing out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like, oh man, it's not, it's not that... like he was doing nothing except doing the UFO storytelling during that time. Right. So I actually really appreciated it. And uh, and then he concludes with uh, making the T Rex appear out of nowhere, right? Yeah, which is also cool. He also made a, a car appear out of nowhere as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, but uh, overall, yeah, I, I thought it was great, and I was very moved by it, Jeff, because his whole message is about like when people tell you no, don't believe them. Right? right. When people tell you, and I'm not talking about that in like a creepy sexual way. I mean, <laughs> I yeah. mean like when people no. tell you you can't say something is impossible. Yeah, when just people say do like the something's impossible, do the impossible. I mean, like when when people tell you your dreams are too difficult to achieve. Right. right? Don't listen. Like you do, you live out your dreams. Right. And this is a guy who doesn't need to do what he's doing. I mean, he's he's making a crap ton of money doing this, of course, but. He doesn't have to he, – he could just retire if he wanted to. But he's trying to instill wonder in people's right. lives and yeah. make people think like, wow, maybe maybe the impossible is possible. Um, and you know Peter Serretta has seen the show as well. I don't know if you yeah. talked to him about I did, it. Yeah, but yeah he, he actually went backstage and met David and if, from his account of the meeting, it, it seemed, he said that David was genuinely interested in feedback and wanted – you know, like, how did this trick land? And, oh, my gosh, I've been tinkering. Like, he's constantly evolving the show and trying to make it better and better and genuinely interested in the craft of it, whereas, you know, somebody of his stature and wealth could just be phoning it in every night as well. Clearly, he's not. Yeah. Um, the Blue 32 thing has apparently, like, had many different iterations through the years. Yeah. So it, it is cool that they're, they're continually refining their acts, and you could go twice or three times in five, ten years and see completely different shows. You know? Right. That yeah. is awesome. Uh, so I appreciate that he's still working hard, man. So so overall, it's, it's a show you recommend, Jeff? Yeah, I really liked it. I, I thought it was, it was pretty amazing. And it, it, had a, it had a lot of humor, had more humor than I anticipated it having. Um, it had, you know... Not all the tricks were home runs, but the ones that were were like, how the hell am I seeing what I'm seeing right now? Yeah. I mean there are some that, uh, it, it, as we discussed, are fairly easy to figure out how he did. Right. And then there's some that it's just I have no idea. <laughs> I have, right. I have no idea how it was achieved. 
So, and that's great. That's what you go to a magic show for. Right. Um, but yeah, very mixed reviews online. I would say, hey, uh, if, you, if you enjoyed Copperfield's work in the 90s, uh, I think you'll really like this. So, And that is how we spent more time reviewing David Copperfield than Free Fire, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 